the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 369 for June 30th, 2013. BlackBerry comes up short on quarterly earnings, Verizon boasts its 500th LTE market, and say goodbye to IDEN. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, a couple of quick notes this week before we get into the news. First off, hopefully you've already picked out your new newsreader, and chances are when you're hearing this, Google Reader is no more. Now, personally, I've chosen Feedly as my replacement for the Google Reader service. I'm using it on the web as well as through the applications for both the iPhone and iPad. And really, so far in my use, I've been pretty pleased with it. Uh, There was one outage this week, and that was something for maintenance. Uh, But other than that, it's been pretty reliable and error-free. So uh, Feedly is uh, my choice for my latest newsreader app, which is probably, outside of mail, the number one application I use on my uh, mobile devices. Yeah, I use it very frequently. Uh, I also have gone with the Feedly. We know we've got support supposedly coming for the Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R apps that we've been using for a long time. That was kind of some of the impetus that I used to uh, go for. But I just tried out the apps and I like the, the, the interface where you just kind of keep swiping up to close and to keep going. And, and I really like that interface and it is somewhat customizable too on the, the gestures you can use. So um, I, I am uh, liking it. I haven't really had any problems with it so far. You know, there was a, a time when they came out and the only way to read through Feedly was through your uh, through some sort of Chrome extension plugin outside of the mobile apps. And they've since uh, gotten away from that. And so now there is the actual website that you can go to, uh, which is pretty nice, which is just I think it's cloud.feedly.com. And, uh, and then it, it pulls it up. And it's very, very familiar looking for those that are using or have been using Google Reader. Um, Google Reader officially shut down today or is shutting down today, uh, Sunday, June 30th, 2013. And this is something that uh, we've been talking about for many months it's not like they didn't tell us it was coming i mean it was i think they announced it back in february or march or something like that but uh you know it, it took a while for us to uh, to come up with some good alternatives and there are other alternatives out there and if you are someone who follows the the uh, the technology blogosphere uh, you'll have seen all sorts of stories today of exporting your feeds and making sure you're choosing a replacement and all of this so uh, just a little anecdotal information both Joey and I have chosen to go with Feedly if you have not made a decision as of yet now next Joey has had some recent time with the new BlackBerry Q10 and Joey impressions are quite positive so far they are you know I didn't spend a lot of time with it because I I unfortunately just had to uh, set it up and get it shipped out right away to uh, one of my users but I, I, I got the chance to, you know, get the Verizon Q10. Uh, basically, it loaded up, it boots up quick, uh, unlike old Blackberries. And, you know, the interface is extremely fluid and easy to use. It, you know, with the exception of knowing that Blackberry, everything's in the wrench under settings. That was the one thing I looked for to get the Wi-Fi and get all the networking and all the email and the, the exchange server set up because I don't use the Blackberry Enterprise server with it. It doesn't have support for the old style Blackberry server that I had, which I now, you know, got rid of entirely. Now it's totally shut down with the with the switchover of the Q10 here. It, it, it just provided a really fluid, intuitive, multitasking interface. Just swiping up got the app to, to minimize, to switch around, and, and it just... And then my the, the second thing was like, okay, so I want to get to email and, you know, this is a messaging device. This is a BlackBerry. You swipe towards the, you swipe right and then it, your mail is sitting off to the left all the time. Your messages are always there, ready to go, just basically instantly whenever you turn the device on. And it just, it made a lot of sense and made it quick access. The gestures were really nice and it, it really impressed me. 
Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the the overall build quality. From what I've seen, it looks like it's a it's a solid piece of hardware. Uh, I I do have one person that I know in my company that's been using a tour for the last couple of years and has been holding out uh, for the latest, and and so we'll be picking up a Q10. So generally, I know there are a lot of people that are going to be very interested in this because they want to keep their uh you know their physical QWERTY keyboards on their mobile devices. It's uh, the build quality is that of the uh, the bold ninety nine thirty or whatever that latest generation is with the metal around it. It's uh, you know very solid feeling. The keyboards you know just as good. I, they still don't have a dedicated period, which I, I, it blows my mind that they don't have that. So you have to hit the Alt key every time you do a period. Uh, it was obviously you know fast to type on, but good size. The the touch screen was very high resolution. I think it's seven twenty by seven twenty for you know, and it's fairly small screen, but yeah, it looked gorgeous and and it was um it was better than I expected. That's for sure. It does have a Joey mentions it, it is seven twenty by seven twenty. It's got sixteen gigs of storage in it, eight megapixel camera on it, and LTE support. I suppose where available. So all very very good specs here. Yeah, it's uh, also a global phone as well. So this one is actually going to be used uh, internationally quite a bit. Uh, so that's uh, that was also uh, an important aspect to this particular device. And it just has that, um, you know, it has the, the, the feeling that they really did bring it into the, the modern modern BlackBerry. I'm for those that are looking for it. I'm thinking that this is going to be the BlackBerry to have if you're sticking with them as a platform and and okay with the new OS. We're going to talk about a little bit here in a bit what's going on with BlackBerry because it was not a good week for them for for news related stuff. But uh, either way, I, I I'm I'm happy to hear that your experience is pretty good with this. And uh, so you you mentioned just you know kind of the setup and getting it out and stuff like that. Uh, is it something that you would you would consider uh, or are you pretty much you know as it's hard, I know, because you're, you know, kind of midstream with iOS and in the middle of this. But if you had to to go out and choose one today, having come from a BlackBerry of many years and and that were what you were, you know, thinking about going with, would, th- would this be something you would consider at this point or you kind of just say, well, I'm, I'm going to move on? You know, I, I wouldn't at this point in time. I still, you know, the application support that the iOS provides they that gives me the tools I need to do a lot of work, you know, like remote desktop, the VPNs. But well, I think VPNs in the the BlackBerry, but some of the other applications that I use, kind of for productivity wise, I wouldn't at this point in time because uh, you know I know there's a lot of Android stuff available, but I, I I didn't have the time to actually kind of dig into it, see if if I could find ones that worked. And and I know that the Q10 is kind of new still, so the applications haven't been optimized for it. Uh, it's definitely something that could be possible. I think from what I saw, the, the you know just the brief initial impressions. Uh, of that Uh, of course you know with ios and the ipad i really do like using the ipad so that would probably sway my decision to stay on the iphone but um it it, you know if they went to something because i i've got the um this kind of a a funny story but i got the 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 uh the the blackberry style back from the user because we we implemented the uh the bring your own device so they're uh, on their own iphone now but but she gave me the the style back and the flip with the qwerty keyboard inside the flip i'm like oh this thing is great you used it for a while. I did use it for a while. Yeah, that was a good uh, many many months. I don't remember how many months it was before I ended up getting the Nexus. But it's uh, if they released the BlackBerry in that format now, hmm, now we're talking. That could be uh, that could be a way to get me back to BlackBerry. 
Uh, you know, it was uh, for those that like it. I, I think it's a pretty fun. Uh, it's a pretty fun device. I mean, it was it was definitely geared towards a specific user for sure. Uh, I I can't remember what why I was I had a, a flip phone in my hand the other day, but I, I I like you. I do remember it fondly, and I I thought, boy, you know, this was a great form factor, and it would be nice to have. But you know, with with all the advantages that you get from having one, you know, slab of glass, if you will, it's uh, it t- it takes over that. But anyway. Interesting stuff here. Q10, it's out if you want it. You can go pick it up. I think it's 200 bucks on every carrier, maybe 250 on T-Mobile. In the news this week, Samsung on Wednesday announcing the Galaxy S4 LTE-A. This is a variant of its flagship Galaxy S4, but it adds support for LTE advanced networks for performance and speeds that are double the current LTE implementations. Now, in conjunction with Samsung's announcement, SK Telecom has launched an LTE advanced network in Seoul and its surrounding suburbs. SK Telecom says its LTE advanced network is capable of delivering download speeds up to 150 megabits per second. U.S. carriers have yet to announce LTE advanced plans. In addition to the faster network speeds the galaxy s4 lte a also comes with a quad core 2.3 gigahertz snapdragon 800 processor from qualcomm and 32 gigs of internal memory and uh, support for expansion via micro sd cards up to 64 gigabytes the fcc on thursday approving draft rules for a spectrum auction expected to take place later this year the rules apply to the pcsh block which is paired uh, of 10 megahertz in the 1915 to 1920 megahertz range and the 1995 to 2000 megahertz range the h block is part of a 65 megahertz chunk identified by congress as one of the only swaths of airwaves that is paired and is not already in use by the government sprint and dish networks are expected to be the highest profile bidders since they would complement spectrum owned by each sprint operates its cdma and lte networks in the pcs band and dish has 40 megahertz of spectrum in the 2000 to 2020 megahertz and 2180 to 2200 megahertz bands since the h block frequencies are adjacent to the dish's spectrum though the fcc has put limits in place on power levels to prevent interference with dishes services also on thursday the fcc adopting a declaratory ruling that says that wireless network operators are responsible for protecting any customer's proprietary network information that may reside on a customer's device carriers already protect this information as it transmits around their networks but the ruling this week says that the cpni data that is stored on the device itself must be protected that data includes call logs call locations and call durations which is collected in order to help maintain and improve the network of the carrier the ruling doesn't apply to third-party applications or services that may be downloaded or installed on end-user devices. It also doesn't change how carriers collect the information nor how they use it. The FCC said it can take action and will take action against carriers that fail to properly secure such data. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, BlackBerry on Friday reporting its fiscal first quarter loss of 13 cents per share. They missed expectations with revenues of $3.1 billion. The company shipped a total of 6.8 million smartphones in the quarter, which of which 2.7 million were running BlackBerry 10. Shares dropped more than 17% during the pre-market session following the earnings report. The global subscriber base also shrunk to 72 million subscribers for fiscal Q1. That's down 4 million, 4 million subscribers versus Versus the previous period. The company also said they plan to launch the mid-range Q5 in various markets over the next couple of months, along with at least one additional BlackBerry 7 handset. Finally, they also announced that the BlackBerry, uh, the, the I'm drawing a blank now, the tablet uh, that they have, the Playbook, will not be getting BlackBerry 10. So unfortunately for those that have Playbook devices, 
will not be getting that. So, uh, you know, I, I look at these results and I think, okay, well, certainly not great news for BlackBerry here. Uh, not the end of the world either. I mean, there's still 72 million people that are using Blackberries out there, but, uh, you know, possibly the beginning of a larger trend of people leaving BlackBerry, uh, or you could just look at it as, you know, coming to the end of their life cycle here with, uh, you know, all the older devices here. And as some of the new ones are coming online, that's what people were waiting for. Yeah, and the playbook thing, you know, that announcement seemed kind of crazy because, you know, we know that the, the playbook OS is basically just an earlier version of the, the, the OS ten on, on BlackBerry. So I guess, you know, they're probably missing out on some of the modernization, but really they're probably not missing out on a lot. And also, you know, the the how old is the playbook now? That's uh getting up there in time. So I guess it kind of makes sense that it wouldn't be up graded as far as the os goes but also no new playbook options even from blackberry there's been you know no upgrades in process or any of that so i would imagine there's probably one around the corner an update to the playbook coming even though they uh you know seemingly have kind of let that market go they, they've got to have kind of that tablet to go along with their product offering it's been two years, uh, by the way. First one on sale, April 19th, 2011. So this is, uh, it is an old device uh, now that uh, you mention it that way. In fact, it was CES 2011, I believe, that we actually got to see this thing uh, show, you know, shown off and actually got to see what it was doing. So uh, yeah, there's there's quite a bit here of uh, of time that's been, you know, gone by and there's no new, uh, you know, new hardware or anything like that. So you bring up a good point. It is two years old. I mean, this thing is as good as dead, really. Yeah, and it feels like it's a lot older just because of how fast technology has changed in the past two years as far as tablets go so it does feel on the older side i mean i'm sure the people who have playbooks probably would disagree but uh, and i know they've gotten a lot of software updates in the meantime where they you know a lot of functionality has been added so it's uh yeah that's a tough issue but of course blackberry on the flip side of things you probably don't want them sitting there wasting time you know backporting a, a new os to an older device like this yeah, I'm not looking forward to, you know, I wasn't wasn't thinking about this, although those I'm sure that were using the devices probably, you know, considered it as like, a, well, maybe we'll get this. But ultimately, no, you're not going to. So that's that's the end of that. And especially with some of the low prices where you can get, you know, 150 bucks, you can get a playbook for and, and you know, depending on your needs and and maybe, you know, it, you know, I haven't looked into that. I don't know how it bridges with the uh, with the, the, the BlackBerry OS 10 devices. I don't know if they've got the bridging app. I mean, they must have that for the playbook. So I suppose some of that functionality will kind of vary if you have a new device or, or you have to kind of take that into consideration. Yeah, that's true. And I, I don't look to uh, to anyone who's who's got one of these right now that they're I, it, it should come as kind of a disappointment, but not necessarily a shock that something like this is is not happening uh, or happening if, is how this news is presented. So anyway, uh, moving on to some carrier news, AT&T on Friday releasing a draft of changes it plans to make to its privacy policy included in the change are more transparencies on how data is being used and collected. AT&T says customer data is offered to advertisers who can then use it for various ads and marketing programs. AT&T is seeking comments and customer feedback over the next 30 days prior to full implementation of the new policy. Verizon on Thursday said that its 4G LTE network now has 500 markets in 49 states around the U.S., Alaska, the 50th and final state, will be coming online sometime in July. LTE now covers 99% of its CDMA 3G network footprint and is available to 95% of the U.S. population. That's about 298 million people. According to Verizon, 57% of the data that is transmitted throughout its networks runs over LTE. Now compare this to AT&T, whose network is available in 291 markets and covers about 200 million people. Also, Sprint's LTE network is only available in 
about 110 markets. They cover 150 million. T-Mobile offers uh, coverage in only a handful of markets, but they say they expect to cover 200 million people by the end of the year. It's a pretty amazing uh, rollout that Verizon has done. I mean, I rarely uh, see 3G on my device now. It's uh, even just in the past few months, it's really changed the coverage level. And it's uh, it, it's, a, it's a real good uh, testament to their you know release of this. And we read some stories this week that Verizon's going to be starting to think about dropping their 3G network as well to you know uh, repurpose that spectrum for LTE. Uh, obviously, we need to get uh, LTE voice, you know, voice over LTE services available on phones here pretty soon in order for this to take effect, you know, in five, six years or whatever, they'll probably uh, take that network down. But it's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're moving quickly here to LTE and all the carriers are, as you can see, even Sprint has you know, quite a few people covered, which is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see that number that high. So what I will tell you about this is that, uh, as you mentioned here, the repurposing of that spectrum, uh, what we're going to find, I think, is uh, we now have essentially three bands that are being used primarily by a carrier like Verizon. So you've got the, the legacy band that was used, this, you know, the, the stuff that dates way back into the 80s, that, that old cellular band in the 800 megahertz range, that is still being used for the 3G services. In fact, there's still a 1X network that's being run over that as well. You then, of course, have the 1900 megahertz spectrum, which is that PCS spectrum that is kind of the supplementary stuff. And then finally, the third and new 700 megahertz spectrum that's being used for LTE. Well, and all your voice calls still use 1X, so that uh, on CDMA. So that's still why you still see the uh, you know the circle dot on your Verizon iPhone, the 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 1X RTT data network that sometimes you get uh, if you don't get EVO, EVDO service. So the the interesting thing about this is if they start to work on LTE services and implementing those in different frequencies. I'll be very interested to see how this plays out because my thought is for devices like the iPhone, which are specifically made for LTE service on the 700 megahertz range, that's what we're going to get. That's what you get with this device. If they start to expand the services onto the different frequencies, I'm I'm thinking that they're probably the the, the chipset that's being used is not going to be uh, you know upgradable to be able to use these other frequencies. So you're stuck with where you're at. It's going to be for future devices only. So don't get too excited about this if you're someone who's currently using a device on uh, LTE with Verizon. No, exactly. This is for future devices only because yeah, we we do know they're going to be doing an AWS launch uh, to help their their LTE in the 700 because they're they're crunched on capacity. I mean, they really are. And I know a lot of people have been seeing their speeds drop from, you know, sometimes seeing peaks of 60 megabits, megabits per second down to, you know, five and threes now are, are what people are getting in some uh, of the busier markets. Uh, and even less uh, on if you're in a real saturated area. I've seen my speeds drop down from the, the the upper 20s, typically down to the you know 10s, 10 megabits. I still don't notice any problems with speeds because the latency is still real low. But but the actual download speeds have uh, decreased. Uh, you know probably as the network has bec- uh, has a lot more users on it now. Absolutely. I tried to send a picture. Uh, it was today actually, and I was I was out and about, and I was actually surprised at how long it took. And I thought, well, you know, there's there's a lot of people in this area, so I guess that that kind of makes sense. So um, it's a it's a very interesting thing that now the the success of the network is also causing it to uh, to see a little bit of strain. But uh, I, I think this is going to happen with each of the networks that are getting built out by the carriers. Verizon just happens to be at the forefront of this. We're now coming up on a uh, what are we at here now? Three years of LTE being available from Verizon uh, this fall. And so it's it's ultimately going to be, you know, for them, a, you know, the next push in making sure that they've got the capacity available across all of the the spectrum that they have available so very interesting stuff here 500 markets though available now from verizon and a 50th state all 50 states here in the u.s 
uh, having some sort of coverage as of next month. It was also revealed on Thursday, Verizon looking to Canada as a possible way to expand its business. The company is speaking to Canadian network operators Wind Mobile and Mobilicity, both of which have around half a million customers and are valued between half and two-thirds of a billion dollars. Verizon said that the company was considering its expansion into Canada, but has not decided uh, if this is going to happen and is also declining to provide any specific details about these plans. I don't know. I I think it's kind of nice. I mean, we're talking about our neighbor to the north and potentially seeing you know, some business opportunities here for Verizon, but also maybe some uh, synergies there with how roaming is done. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the European carriers are now basically not going to be uh, effective, what, next July, not able to provide uh, or charge people for roaming across countries. You're going to just have service that's going to be available ubiquitously across all the countries. Granted, we get that here in all the states, but it would certainly be nice if we could get it in Canada as well with how close a lot of those uh, major cities are like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and whatnot. Well, and I think there are some companies that actually provide plans that kind of handle that sort of international roaming uh, for, you know, fairly inexpensive. But I think that's probably one of the next frontiers that uh, carriers are going to start selling are these, you know, plans that are global. And I mean, they already have global data and all of the minutes, but make it more transparent, easier for users who are frequent travelers between these cities uh, to make it a little bit more uh, you know, cheap and easier to actually just do, you just can just sign up for it, and not have to worry about international travel. Yeah, and I, I you don't want to think about that. I think when you're you're trying to make sure you can rely on these mobile devices, you don't want to be charged an arm and a leg. You just don't want to even want to think about or worry about it. So yeah, I, I would love to I would love to see stuff like that come on. Yeah, because I used to have, uh, you know, one of the reasons I had to move away from Sprint was that they uh, they, they, they really made me mad when they dropped the, the BlackBerry Global uh, Unlimited plan that, that, that I was on on this BlackBerry tour that I had to, to replace. And, it, it you know, that plan right there, it was 40 bucks a month to add on to have that international global data where you don't have to think about it. And that was great because that was a flat fee for everything, you know, for everywhere, depending on where you went, it, it didn't matter for the data minutes, of course, were still the $2 or whatever they ended up being uh, per minute. But that's, you know, that's easy to deal with. So if they can get minutes down to where you were not paying for minutes internationally, kind of like what we used to do when we used to roam with cell phones, it, you know, remember you had regional plans where you could mm-hmm. go in your like mm-hmm. five state area and, and not be charged roaming. But then if you went to a different state, then you'd be charged roaming minutes. I mean, that's all gone. So, you know, it makes sense that kind of the next phase will be, you know, global slash, you know, different countries, uh, you know, depending on which continent you're on. So that's that's going to be the next thing. I think I think you're probably right with that. I would I would expect, uh, you know, especially for for Canada and Mexico specifically, we'll see how how far that that translates and, and whatnot. But you, you bring up a very good point there. It's, it's going to turn out to be very, very insignificant at some point, And it'll just kind of go away on the Sprint News Sprint on Tuesday, announcing that its shareholders have overwhelmingly approved SoftBank's acquisition of the wireless carrier. Sprint said that 98 percent of the voting were uh, votes were in favor of the proposal with about 80% of Sprint's voting shareholders present. The deal already has approval from the Department of Justice, SEC, and other security agencies. It is now only awaiting approval from the FCC. The deal is expected to close next month. Dish Networks on Thursday withdrew its offer for Clearwire following Clearwire's recent decision to side with Sprint's revised acquisition terms. The withdrawal also recently uh, uh, had Clearwire uh, adding on to the, the withdrawal 
withdrawal on their attempts to purchase Sprint. So uh, Dish kind of out of the game here now with both the Sprint and Clearwire deals. And uh, I'm not sure what's going to ultimately happen with them. Like we mentioned earlier, they do have some Spectrum that they own. So I'm not sure what they're going to use that for, if they're going to ultimately build out something or what it is. But uh, certainly Dish Network's not some uh, not some good news here on the business side for them this week. And finally, on Sprint side uh, today, which is June 30th, they began shutting down their IDEN network as of 12.01 a.m., starting in stages from the East Coast and moving west. They began completely shutting down that network for use on refarming of that 800 megahertz spectrum for its LTE deployments. Users with IDEN hardware will now lose all access to the network, including 911 emergency calling. So if you have an IDEN device, you probably have already noticed this, but it does not work. It does not work at all. You just have no service. You're searching for service. You may as well be on the moon because the spectrum is now the same uh, there as it is here, i.e. not used at all for IDEN. So interesting news there. It's always, uh, in my mind, fascinating when we talk about these networks that have been up and running and you know, on the Nextel side. How long is Nextel been around. I mean, they are they are a company that I think back to you know some of my first experiences with you know with what they did for you know the push to talk service and and whatnot. And it, it is just so uh, it, it's it's almost sad, right? I mean, it was like when uh, when analog cell phones shut down. And I know time marches on, but that's still uh, you know it's it's been around for a long time. It has, and, and I evaluated Nextel devices probably in 1996, 95 for the company, uh, back when the, the thing would stay running for about an hour before it would shut down and reboot uh, the demo units that I had. So that was my first experience with Nextel, and at that time, you could actually make push-to-talk uh, uh, from Minneapolis here to Chicago is your the, the area for push-to-talk um, coverage. And outside of that, I don't even know if they how many cities they had, but it wasn't very much, and, and of course, the coverage uh, within the cities here at the time was pretty limited as well so uh they've been around for quite some time yeah i i was a i was a big fan of the technology for the push to talk services i thought it really did a nice job uh so the the iden project which was something that uh, was originally pushed out by motorola the motorola integrated radio system is what it was called and that was 1991 uh it did use the gsm style of technology for uh, how it would be taken care of, you know, that time division access for for making use of the channels. Uh, they typically they required 24 uh, voice channels to be contiguous to each other. Just an, an interesting point with that. But uh, ultimately renamed to IDEN back in the mid 90s, and then uh, you really started to hear it in the late 90s as people started to uh, to use them. So uh, 1994, we'll call it for when IDEN was really commercial to uh, 2013. So believe it or not, that's almost 20 years this network was in use. So a, a very good lifespan, I suppose, in uh, in today's technology, fast-paced world. But uh, either way, it is now done. T-Mobile on Wednesday said that it would offer features of an LTE advanced network sometime later this year. They did not, of course, say what that meant. It didn't say if they were going to be deploying LTE advanced or if it would just be features. Uh, so T-Mobile's LTE network is based on the release 10 specs, which are though required for LTE advanced, not indeed an LTE advanced network. So we'll see what happens with that. But they're looking to do some different things, probably with speed wise is what I'm guessing for later this year. And T-Mobile also on Friday announcing that it has agreed to buy a 10 megahertz block of AWS spectrum from US Cellular for $308 million. That spectrum covers about 32 million people across 29 markets. Those uh, included cities include Birmingham, Kansas City, Lexington, Little Rock, Louisville, Memphis, Nashville, New Orleans, and St. Louis. T-Mobile says it will use the spectrum to provide LTE coverage in those markets. 
that transaction, of course, subject to regulatory approval. Some device news here. On Wednesday, Sprint announced the upcoming availability of two Windows Phone 8 smartphones. The first from Sprint will support LTE, uh, or the first two that will support LTE. The first is the HTC 8XT. This is a modified version of the 8X from HTC. It has a dual speaker boom sound and beats audio features found in the HTC One. The 8XT has a 4.3 inch HD display, 1.4 gigahertz dual core Snapdragon 400 processor, 1 gig of RAM, 8 gigs of storage, and support for 64 gig micro SD cards. It also has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, and an 1800 milliamp hour battery. Other features include an 8 megapixel main camera with autofocus and LED flash. It has a front facing camera of 1.6 megapixels, and this one will go on sale for 100 bucks after rebate and new contract sometime later this summer. Also, the Samsung Ative S Neo. This is a Windows Phone 8 smartphone from Samsung with a 4.8-inch HD display, dual-core 1.4 gigahertz processor, 1 gig of RAM, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, Wi-Fi, and a 2,000 milliamp-hour removable battery, 8-megapixel main, and 1.9-megapixel front-facing cameras. The Ative S Neo goes on sale later this summer for $149 with a new contract. On the Android side, Sony on Tuesday announcing the Z Ultra, an Android smartphone with a 6.4-inch full HD display. The Z Ultra is water-resistant and is just 6.5 millimeters thick. It's powered by a 2.2 gigahertz quad-core Qualcomm Snapdragon 800 processor, supports HD voice with Sony's clear audio plus mode and X-Loud loudness features. The Z Ultra features an 8-megapixel camera with Sony's Exmor RS sensor, supports HDR photos and video, as well as a 2-megapixel user-facing camera for video chats. The Z Ultra has a 3,000 milliamp-hour battery and comes with Sony's stamina mode for fine-tuning and extending battery life. Other features include Sony's Walkman software, 16 gigs of storage, and support for 64 gig micro SD cards, and connectivity options such as Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, quad-core GSM and Edge, and HSPA Plus on the 850, 900, 1700, 1800, and 2100 megahertz bands. The Z Ultra runs Android 4.2 Jellybean and comes in black, white, and purple. It will launch in various markets during the third quarter. Verizon on Tuesday announcing the Casio G's One Commando 4G LTE, a fully ruggedized Android smartphone that can withstand shock, dust, water, fog, sand, and extreme temperatures. It features Casio's G's World app and the G's Gear sensor for mapping and interacting with the outside world. It can provide information on tides, constellations, barometric pressure, and more. The device has an 8-megapixel camera that can record 1080p video and slow-motion video. It has a 1.3-megapixel camera for video chats and self-portraits and the touch display features glove mode which allows the commando to be used when wearing gloves the casio g's one commando 4g lte is a global device it went on sale june 27th for 100 bucks with a 50 dollars mail-in rebate if it can be used while wearing gloves it must have a resistive touchscreen as part of the capacitive touchscreen right it must because how else could you possibly you know through gloves capacitive just does not work you know, there's some sort of, you know, interesting technology that's at play here. And I'm not sure. I'm guessing you're probably right that it's got to be something resistive because clearly when you put on something uh, over your finger, the the capacitive type of functionality is not is not there. But I would guess it doesn't need the same type of pressure that we have. So I, I don't know. Uh, I would guess it's something like a, you know, like the, the, the screens that are used on a like the reader that you have at the grocery store where you can sign your name with your it can be your finger. It can be a pen. It can be a pancake. It can be whatever. It just, you know, it, it's just whatever, you know, it just it just works. So, um, 
either way, it, it is interesting, and I think it's good. You know, Nokia has the same type of technology as well that they're using in theirs because they work through gloves as well. Uh, but either way, Casio G's One Commando 4G LTE, 100 bucks after $50 mail-in rebate if you need a phone that you can drop off a building. And one software story this week, Wells Fargo on Monday announcing that its customers may now choose to receive receipts via text message to document a transaction made at an ATM. Receipt options from ATMs now include printing the document at the ATM, emailing it to a customer's on-file email address, and now texting that customer's on-file mobile uh, phone number. The service is available at all Wells Fargo uh, online, uh, or to all Wells Fargo online and mobile banking customers at approximately 12,000 ATMs across the country. Uh, I find this interesting. I'm someone who regularly uses the emailing uh, functionality of this. I'm not sure what benefit you get from uh, having it texted to you other than maybe it's just a way that you like to see it, whether it's whatever. But uh, either way, I like, uh, I like being able to get my receipts via email. I don't need that piece of paper hanging around. I guess it's uh, for people who do not use email at all. You know, somebody like my mom who does not have an email account, she doesn't have a computer, doesn't have a smartphone, uh, text message would be the alternative way to receive it. Are there really that many people that are that are not using email that are using text messaging though? I mean that I feel like uh, at the very least you you started using email before you did text messaging, but I guess not everyone does. It's it's very interesting though. Either way, uh, probably didn't cost them that much to implement, so they thought, well, why not? So anyway, you can now get your receipts texted to you from Wells Fargo. A couple of questions and comments this week. Two comments first. First one, Johnny. He says, "Greetings. I've been using Talkatone for almost a year. Tried the premium service, which didn't seem to afford me that much value, so I'm back to the free version of the service." The bottom line, my favorite of its kind uh, compared to Mo Plus or G phone but here's my concern the credentials required to use my google voice service with any third-party application are the same as everything else in my google account so my main concern here is the security of email uh, as a solution i created another uh, gmail account for the sole purpose of it being my google voice only account and of course that password is unique and different than my gmail service i can't believe google hasn't thought of this problem wouldn't it be good if google voice could have its own password option something unique uh, if you could then submit uh, that question or that suggestion over to Google. It would be nice as well, but I hope this is issue is covered and um, we can make recommendations here. Uh, there's an, also an app out there called KK Talk. Uh, go and read the reviews, many of which claim they've had their Gmail accounts compromised after installing KK Talk. So always the best. Johnny, he's a good point here. You know, I, I think about this and at the same time, I don't. Uh, I will say the the one way I think to get around this is that when you are setting up these types of services, um, I, I'm now using the two-factor authentication and also requiring these app-specific passwords in order to use my Google service. So if I set up a service like this and I'm using something like a Talkatone, I have to enter in a unique password for that account, uh, for or for that service, so it's like a 16-character password, very specific to, and you actually, you know, I have it labeled in uh, Google, so I have different passwords set up to access my Google services. So that's the way that you get around that, uh, and and it's pretty easy to to deal with. It, it sounds complex, and it's not. You just go to accounts.google.com, and then you go into security, and under there you have uh, connected applications and sites, I believe it is, uh, and uh, or no, I'm sorry. It's under two-step verification, and then you can manage your application-specific passwords, and then you have, uh, of course, the you authenticate yourself, and then from there, you can go in and set up. So I'm looking here. I have specific separate applications for everything from Reader, separate for both the iPad and the iPhone, 
the iPad mail application is specific. The iPhone mail application is specific. Takatone is specific. My uh, mail application on my iMac is specific. My card dav implementation on my iMac is, has a specific one. So every single thing that I do is as a specific password and you set it up once and you're good. So uh, I feel much more safe about that. So that's that that would be my recommendation on how to get around this. And you can only do the the, the application specific password, passwords if you have the two-step verification uh, for that. Otherwise, you can not it uses the same uh, the same you know password for everything and yeah you're right and I think that's why they did this two step uh, uh, authentication because because of this very issue because yeah once you provide them with your password and you provide them your account you might as well just you know might as well just hand them hand them the keys to it because they have full access if anybody has you know backdoor access to this other company service like that kk talk or whatever it is that you know there may be some hackers or whatever that have access to the behind the scenes and can you know access your full account i'm not uh, overly concerned about uh, you know some of the some of the stuff that i've been using because i've been using it for so long but i can absolutely see you know giving your google credentials to someone new um Absolutely, you know, cause for concern here, at least for pause uh, for doing this. So check this out. The other thing is, too, is when you log in, especially from new devices, whether it's a new uh, computer or uh, after a certain period of time, maybe it's two weeks or a month or something. It actually the two factor authentication. Then, if it's a if it's a traditional Google, you know, like service, like if you're signing into Gmail on the web, if it's if it's a new device that it doesn't recognize it requires you to have a text message sent to you and then you enter in that uh, that specific code that's then been sent to you to use that that device so i do that quite a bit too um it's not all that inconvenient because you have your phone with you all the time so there you get the text message enter it in and uh, you're off and running with it so i i appreciate those types of things uh that they that they put in place so definitely check out two-factor authentication it's not perfect but it gets you a, a long way to being more secure and uh, hopefully addressing this issue and having uh, accounts compromised next comment here is from mike he says guys love the show especially how that you guys cover more on the network side than any of the other sites out there just wanted to pass along a tip i live in buffalo new york and i'm on t-mobile and i just noticed that around midnight on the 26th of june my galaxy s4 is now getting 4g lte coverage i haven't heard or seen anything anywhere about t-mobile testing lte in the area or launching it anytime soon but so i'm not sure which it is but either way I just wanted you to know so that you can pass it along and uh, check it out on some screenshots and speed test i'm showing the lt indicator now thanks love the show mike well mike thanks very much for passing that on if you happen to live in buffalo new york uh, you should now have lte coverage on t-mobile and finally today a question from patrick he says guys a uh, great show on the ios 7 wherein you covered some of the lesser features that i find very useful namely the facetime audio and per app cellular data usage now for my question i have at&t uh, on my personal iphone 5 and i recently got a verizon blackberry z10 as my company phone this randomly happens uh, when i call from AT&T to Verizon, but you can hear the ring from the AT&T phone, but the Verizon phone does not ring and just goes straight to voicemail. So my question is, is there an issue between AT&T connecting to Verizon? Did I try, uh, I did try a Verizon BlackBerry curve, but I'm still getting that same result. Who do I complain to? Is it AT&T or Verizon? Uh, this also happens randomly, so it's hard to replicate it at the store. Thanks, Patrick. Well, uh, okay, here's, here's what I have to say about this, Patrick. So um, in general, it sounds like the issue um, is either with Verizon or specifically that handset. Um, is if it's happening just in one place, 
or everywhere is really the question. If it's the former, if it's just one place, then of course I would say it's an issue with that location, um, or it may just be an area with a lot of congestion, a low signal, and stuff like that. But if it's happening everywhere with the Z10, then it may be the hardware. But you mentioned that it's random, and you also mentioned that you are seeing this on another device. So I would imagine that this is probably something that's specific to Verizon. So the next question I have is, have you ever used Verizon in your area before? And if so, has this been happening for a while? Have you the devices that you've been using over the past few years? Is it, has this been happening a lot? Um, hopefully you see where I'm going with this. But basically, if you've seen it on multiple devices here, uh, it's, it's a service issue, right? I mean, it's happening uh, not just on one specific device. Um, I actually saw this quite a bit with both AT&T and Sprint in my use with them over the years. Calls just wouldn't come into my phone uh, when I was in certain areas. They'd just go right to voicemail. And that would be the only way that I would know that I actually got a call. Um, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was always very specific areas, though. So it would be like uh, in my office where I had very low signal and the call would just, it would show that you had bars. It wouldn't show no service, but it would just, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't be good enough to have the phone call come through. So uh, again, this is not, you know, cellular is not perfect. So there's always uh, going to be some things that can, can happen t- from time to time. Uh, but uh, I would say, you know, check out kind of what the service is like first uh if if it's you know verizon seems to be good uh and you have other devices that you're able to verify uh you know then then perhaps it's the device i guess it could be an account thing too uh it's very rare but i guess those things do happen where there could be something happening with your account i wouldn't think that would be the case so uh joey that's that that's all i can say about this one not a lot of information here so we're just kind of going off what patrick gave us yeah and it's hard you know it's also hard to provide information because these things kind of happen randomly where it doesn't you know, it doesn't always do it. So it, it, it could be something with the phone with the antenna issues. Like I've had a couple of devices where the antenna internally breaks or something like that. And, uh, you know, the signal strength is just that much lower to sometimes cause calls not to come in. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's probably a network thing in your area or some sort of interference in your area. Like some microwave is spewing out, you know, frequencies that interrupt your you know the 800 megahertz band where your thing is or some other radio you know sometimes there's weird environmental factors like that what was the story that we read a couple weeks ago that was throwing off cellular signals the it was some some or somebody's refrigerator was completely blocking for like five or six houses was completely taking down like all of horizon service because you know probably you know a bunch of em was coming out of the uh the refrigerator compressor motor yeah which is it's amazing i mean again this is all stuff that is is truly amazing that all of our stuff works together i mean we're talking about you know frequencies that are flying through the air that you know are bouncing off of things and and are adjacent to one another and you know if it's too powerful then it can cause interference and it's it's insane how does this stuff work at all is really my question but it does and and uh, you know the digital world is an amazing place that we live in so uh hopefully patrick that gets you in the right direction you know to kind of do some troubleshooting of your own think about you know some of these environmental factors move uh you know to another location is it working any better there move to another location is it working any better there is it the hardware you know put another to, to identify if it's your account put another phone on that account and then try the calls and see if the calls are coming through uh if you think it's maybe a network thing you know trying force off lte not that the calls are going over it but you know try and force it to just 3g or you know 2g service and see if that's you know maybe something that's causing an issue who knows there's there's all these little different things that could be in there so uh hardware things network things carrier things location things moon things solar things your neighbor's refrigerator 
it's unbelievable. There's all these different things. But anyway, thanks for your question. And if you have something as you're listening to this show that you think, oh boy, I'd love to comment on that, please get in touch with us. Send us an email, questions at the cell junkie.com. Or maybe you do have a question for us. We'd love to hear from you on that as well. And if email's not your thing, you can give us a call, 206-203-3734. We'll get either questions or comments on the show and talk about them on the future episodes. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.